The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus entered the synagogue. There was a man there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus closely to see if he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come up here before us. And then he said to the Pharisees, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil? To save life rather than to destroy it? But they remained silent. Looking around at them with anger, and grieved at their hardness of heart, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him to put him to death. The Gospel of the Lord. What a grim note in our readings. That's the very beginning of chapter 3 of St. Mark's Gospel, and folks are already ready to kill Jesus. What a remarkable, remarkable statement that is when we recognize that this is early in the ministry of the Lord. And he has already encountered such implacable hostility. A hostility that has a curious echo to what we see and what we will continue to see in our first readings as we move forward. Yesterday we saw young David anointed king, but he's not king yet. He's serving the guy who still has that job, which is Saul. And this should tell us something. Note how the anointed of the Lord, the chosen of the Lord, even though he has been gifted with that status or that dignity, is content to work within the system that God has established. There already is a monarch on the throne. David knows that one day the throne will be his, but he also knows it's not today. And even though he is that one who will eventually ascend to the position of authority, he does nothing but respect the king that the Lord has already settled on the throne. And curiously, we'll see moving forward, even when that king tries to kill him. Because David's heart is fixed on respecting what the Lord has established. And here now as well, then, we see a certain contrast. This is the beginning of the relationship between David and Saul. And it happens in that context of Israel at war with its ancient enemy, the Philistines. The echo of this conflict 
is still very present in today's world. Roughly around the year 139 AD, after the great Jewish rebellion, when the Romans suppressed it and expelled the Jews from their ancient homeland, they also renamed the area Palestine, which is the Latin version of Philistine. To underscore the insult, to underscore the punishment, you not only lose your land, but it will now be named for your ancient enemies. And the cities that we hear about as we'll move through our readings of David and Saul, Ashdod, Gad, Ashkelon, they still exist. They still exist. And they are still flashpoints, trouble points in the Middle East. And this is not to say that the present Palestinians are reducible to the ancient Philistines. But just note the echoes, the echoes of this long-running conflict and animosity that still play out on some mysterious way even today. And it's in the middle of this long-running con con conflict between these nations, these peoples, that David comes to Saul. And he comes to Saul as Israel is in crisis. The Philistines have overwhelmed them, and their great champion has come forward to challenge the great men of Israel. Send forth your mightiest, send forth your best, and let him do battle with me. And all Israel quakes in fear because they see the size of the giant. They see the strength of his arm. They know his reputation. And all of them know that none of them on their own can stand against him. Alone in their weakness against him who is so mighty. And so we have the remarkable scene of the young David saying, send me. Let me go take that guy on. And as we gauge that reaction, it's important to recognize that this is not hubris on the part of the young man. Rather, David approaches this from a different position. He approaches it not from a position of fear and frightened inadequacy, but of confidence in the power of God who has been with him all his life long. That's important to recognize. This is not the reckless declaration of faith in a moment of enthusiasm, which would have got him killed. This is not, I've just discovered the Lord today, and I'm going to step out and do battle with the giant right now. That's reckless faith. That's irresponsible. In fact, it's not faith at all. David lived a life of trust in God. David experienced in his life the way God stood by him. David experienced 
having to engage the lion that came for the flock and calling out for the protection of the Lord and receiving it. And so note David's answer to Saul. He basically says, I've done this before. You might not have, but I've done this before. I've gone into battle in defense of the flock relying on the Lord more than once. I can do it again. That's really important. When we look at the bold example of David, it is not an example of recklessness. Someone without that kind of a history of reliance on the Lord should not be making the step, and that's why the others didn't. They did not have that same life of reliance on the Lord in great things and in great ways. So that now, at this moment, he can step forward. Note how beautiful this is, how the Lord used his time as shepherd. How the Lord used his boldness in caring for the flock to prepare him for this moment when a certain holy boldness, as opposed to a rash, enthusiastic recklessness, was required. This is what we'll see as we study the life of David, as we hear it in our readings moving forward. There's a certain holy boldness about him, which is never rushed, never in a hurry, never reckless because it's founded on these experiences, these years of experience, even though he's young. He is older in trust in the Lord than Saul and his generals. And so David steps out and note that David uses very simple things, in part because he doesn't have armor and he doesn't own a sword. But he also realizes if the Lord protected me with the simple weapons of a shepherd against the lion and against the bear, why can't he do that here? And he steps out not to gain glory for himself, which is the next thing. David doesn't go out saying, I will beat the Philistine and show you how good a guy I am and why I really should be the king and not you. David goes out and says, and when I overcome him, you will see that there is God over Israel. You who pay lip service to God will see with your own eyes that God really does exist, and God really is involved, and God really does care. Note the implication there. We haven't been giving any evidence that God is with us. We live like frightened men and women. Or when we want to act in trust, we do so boldly, recklessly, we overextend ourselves and get it wrong because we haven't been trusting all along and we don't know how to do it. And so David steps out in this way. And note again how when Saul was brought before Samuel, he was ruddy and handsome and tall and cut a fine figure. 
And what do we hear when David is brought forward? He is ruddy and handsome and cuts a fine figure both inside and outside. And these same words that were used in a very complimentary way as candidates for kingship are the objects of mockery on the part of the warrior. The bold, blunt, savage man of battle who looks at David and feels insulted. This is the best you can do? I want a challenge and you send me a kid? I ask for a warrior and you send me some soft-looking little pretty boy? What on earth is this? Well, then let's get it over with and let me show you what I think of your innocent youth that wants to come forward and engage me and watch me destroy it. And so we see here as well an element of the fact that this is a conflict between the young new life of faith and the old, harsh, selfish, ambitious wickedness of the world. Goliath has been doing this longer than David's been alive. And yet David is alive in a way that Goliath is not. And that's the difference here. And so both come forward, but not before David says, oh, I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to take the army down with you. The, uh, you know, the, the statement is absolutely remarkable, but he knows, cut off the head and the body will die. And so they run into battle, literally rushing toward each other. And again, note the movement of David. He doesn't run away. Even as the great lumbering evil comes forward, he moves forward to meet it. And why? He's already protected himself by his trust in the Lord. That is his armor. That is his shield. That is his defense. And in that defense, what must be done is one must step forward to meet what is wrong and face it. And with those inadequate weapons that he has, he strikes the blow with one single stone. David assumed it would take five. That's how many he picked up. And yeah, note, David trusts in the Lord, but he also understands his own fallibility. I might miss a couple times. And yet, marvelously, he doesn't miss. And this is remarkable because of the metal helmet Goliath was wearing. That blow would have had to have been perfect. There's no reason this blow should have landed. There's no reason it should have been so effective. And yet it is. The deadly accuracy of goodness directed forward toward evil. Guided by the truth of the Lord, the hand of God, wins the day. It's not because David's arm was so strong. 
It's because the arm of faith in his heart was so well-muscled. What a remarkable incident this is. What a remarkable incident this is. An incident which has echoed through the spiritual life of the church in a number of important ways, not the least of which is with the peculiar and beautiful Marian note that this reading has. And now you're thinking, Father, come on. It's David and Goliath. There's no woman mentioned here. How does this relate to the Virgin Mary? Oh, it is a completely Marian reading. Because it doesn't speak directly of Our Lady, that is true. But it does speak of those who are strengthened by her in Christian service. As St. Louis de Montfort writes, the true child of Our Lady formed into an apostle will go forth with the cross for his staff and the rosary as his sling to lay low the enemies of goodness. And what a remarkable statement that is. This image of David who goes forth to meet the giant with nothing more than a staff and a sling. And his confidence, his trust, his relationship with the Lord. And in speaking this way, Father de Montfort speaks of what the real missionary is, about what the good priest is, and about what the faithful as well can be. We are small against the gigantic evils of this world. Frankly, we're small sometimes against the gigantic vices that live in our own hearts. And yet the issue is not who's bigger and who's smaller. The issue is not who is stronger and more fearsome. The issue is who is armed in the right way. With that great and holy confidence in our Lord. A confidence that is rooted more fully in our hearts the more we belong to Our Lady. And note the issue here. The great weapons of this battle are not bold proclamations. They are not the tools of secular politics or advancements. Not that those can never be used in the service of the gospel, but that more fundamentally, the staff upon which we should rely to defend ourselves is the cross of Jesus Christ, which is a measure of weakness, a measure of gener generous self-sacrifice, a measure of the ability and the willingness to move through hardship. Because those are the things that the world flees from. And the rosary. And note, how many stones did David pick up? Five, right? You guys would get an A. You have good memories. <laughs> and on a basic rosary, how many decades are there? Four. Well, now, note this idea of having our five smooth stones always near at hand to be used in the sling. 
the five smooth stones of contemplating with Our Lady the mysteries of Christ, the face of Christ in His mystery, which shapes us, which forms us into His likeness. In a sense, vice can be put to death within us by our rooting of the virtues of Christ within us. Vice can be put to death in the world by means of a certain contemplative prayerfulness, by a certain confidence in the powerful intercession of Our Lady and the overriding goodness and mercy of her Son, who is powerful and has overcome all evil. They move through this world with the cross as their staff and the rosary for their sling. What an interesting image for us. What an interesting image for the church to aspire to. What a beautiful image to contemplate here at a shrine founded in the tradition of St. Louis de Bonfort, founded in honor of Our Lady, at a place where we do strive to embrace the cross and make ready use of the rosary in our own devotional life, our own prayer life, individually and together. And that's the other beautiful piece here. That community, that parish, that group that truly knows how to make the cross its staff and the rosary its sling is that group, that parish, that community, which will make a truly great difference in the world. Not simply by attracting others to the gospel, it will do that but also by giving that kind of clear, compelling witness and generating that kind of holy and charitable activity which strikes down the selfishness and the ambition and the licentiousness and the sensuality that seem to be so monstrous around us today. There's a lot of talk today in popular circles about spiritual warfare. And a fair amount of that, while not horrible, has the danger of wanting to root a certain pridefulness, a certain recklessness in the believer's heart. We like to think of ourselves prematurely as champions ready to go out like David without having done the work of cultivating the relationship with God that David walked out in. And this advice from St. Louis de Montfort is very important. Don't run out into battle yet. Make sure you know how to use the weapons. Arm yourself with the cross, the rosary, devotion to Our Lady, and make that slow but steady growth in confidence in the nearness, the presence, and the protection of the Lord that will allow you in God's time, not your time, to step forward and make a difference. But that's the other beautiful thing about this first reading. And it's something that we see in the gospel, this stepping forth of Jesus to make a difference, this stepping forth of David 
At some point, his trust in the Lord is not merely his private possession. At some point, his relationship with the Lord is for the benefit of the people, to make a difference for the people, to make a difference in the world. What a great thing. And in just a few minutes, we'll come forward and we'll stretch out our hands to something that looks remarkably like a small smooth stone, the little round white disc of the consecrated host. And we will take that through that true king who is the perfection of everything that David's example pointed to. We will receive him into our hearts and into our lives so that we can in all truth go forth from this place saying not just that the Lord is with me, we can say something David never could. He's within me. Why fear the world? For he has overcome it. Amen.